<laughs> Good morning. Really glad you're here with us this morning. Is that real life or what? You're at a party and you say something or you do something that you regret and you find yourself feeling really bad about it. We're talking in this message series we're wrapping up today, we're talking about what to do when you find yourself in survival mode. And we've defined that as uh, relying on yourself and your own strategies to get what you want in life. That's the picture you see in Scripture. Once you decide to follow Christ and you turn around from going your own way to go his way, the Bible says the Holy Spirit fills you. He, he takes up residence in your heart and mind and life. And, and he begins to give you the power that you need to do life God's way. And what happens if you decide to rely on him, you're connected to the power that he provides for living life his way. If you unplug and decide to rely on yourself, then you disconnect from the power. So we've been looking at what survival mode looks like, what are the characteristics of it, and today we're going to look at how the Bible says forgiveness is key. Getting forgiveness and giving forgiveness is key to staying out of the danger zone in relationships. Here's the real danger of survival mode, Ephesians 4, 30 and 31. I want to, I want to talk about verse 30 first, and then we'll go on to verse 31. But verse 30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. What you find in... The Bible is that when you decide to repent, I mean, maybe you've seen some signs at events and on the side of the road, repent, repent and believe. Um, The word repent means to do a 180, to completely turn around. The Bible says that every one of us, when we were born, we, we, we walk away from God. We decide to try to live life independent of him. And so to have a a friendship with God, we have to turn around from going our own way, do a 180, and decide to go God's way and put our faith in Jesus Christ. That's the picture that you find in Scripture. That's what it takes to establish a friendship with God. When you do that, we are sealed Those who who have done that, those of us who have, we are sealed for the day of redemption. That means the Holy Spirit has branded us. You know, like a rancher brands the cattle to mark their ownership. Our brand as followers of Christ is the Holy Spirit who wells up inside of us to help us do, to help us define the power and to do what God has called us to do, what he wants us to do. He actually plugs you into the resources that God provides to live life his way. It's an amazing thing. After we come to Christ, we decide whether we're going to rely on ourselves or whether we're going to rely on God. When we rely on ourselves, we grieve the Holy Spirit of God. There's a kink in the hose that connects us to the power of God, the resources of God. Or I was trimming my hedges one day, and I got a little slap happy and cut the cord that was connected to the wall, right, and have, you know, no power. 
You know, when we unplug, when we when we decide to rely on ourselves and our own stra- old strategies and old ways of doing things, we aren't plugged into the power. God lets us decide. So when you find yourself in survival mode, many times, like at that party that you saw in the video, they were they 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 knew they blew it. You know, the party's going on, but you're grieved and in, in on the inside. Because the Holy Spirit in you, if you follow Christ, the Holy Spirit in you has been grieved. And so there's a power bog. And you, 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 you lack power that you once had to do what God's called you to do. So living in survival mode grieves the Spirit. And here are some characteristics. Here's a list of some of the things that grieve him. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. This, this passage we're looking at, this is the end of a list of some of the things that grieve the Spirit. Uh, falsehood, deception, we've talked about that in this series, is one of the things that grieves him. Um, anger is another one. It's mentioned again here. Words that we use to push people around and get our way. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for edifying, as fits the occasion, that it may impart grace to those who hear. That's the filter. Once you decide to follow Christ, you're to filter out everything that's not helpful, that doesn't build people up. That grieves the Spirit of God. Do not grieve the Spirit of God. This is a statement that's made after all those things are listed. Because you, the power gets bogged. Well, there, there are two things that happen for sure in the danger zone of our friendships and family relationships that I'm talking about today. First of all, if we're relying our, uh, on ourselves, then we have cut ourselves off from God's power and, and the help that he provides to do right. Secondly... Our friendships and family relationships are in serious danger, and we don't enjoy life. There's a, a sour acridity. Acridity. It's, uh, you ever eat any of that sour? Well, maybe you haven't, but my kids used to love this sour candy. I mean, this stuff is horrible. You have to survive the first 30, 45 seconds it's in your mouth to get to the sweet part of the candy. I mean, they, I'd take them to 7-Eleven after school, and they... They'd get this stuff. And I'd let me try one. Oh, that's painful. Why would you do that? Because it's very accurate. It's pungent. That's literally what this word bitterness means in the Greek that it was originally written. And it means acrid, acridity, especially like poison. And that's what bitterness does. You're in the danger zone when you allow resentment to turn into full-blown bitterness that grows up and chokes the joy out of your life, like the weeds that ruin your garden. We have to watch that our offenses don't pile up and the offenses of others don't pile up and choke out the good stuff in our friendships and in our family relationships. We really have to be on guard. That's what this message is about. If we don't clear things up when they get messed up with others, then we get trapped in the danger zone. And God has clearly shown us the way out. Forgiveness is the key to get out of the danger zone. That's what you find out in Scripture. 
Ephesians 4.32. This is after that list of characteristics of survival mode. Be kind and compassionate to one another. <coughs> Excuse me. Forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Be kind. This, this is, whenever you see this list, there's a couple places in the New Testament where you see this list of bitterness, rage, anger, slander, clamor, malice, brawling. You see this list. These, these things tend to follow that list. Kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. Kindness literally means employed. The idea is that you become useful. You make yourself useful to the people around you. You look at what they need, and you try to help them with their goals. That's the idea of kindness. If you decide you're, you're bitter and you're bright, and you need help, you need God's help to be kind. This is the way God relates to us. Because we've got an attitude. He gives us life. He makes us. And we take it, and we want to do it our own way. And we're rebellious. God though, shows kindness to us in Jesus Christ because he makes a way for even though we have gone our own way and rebelled and that cuts us off from knowing God personally, he made a way out of his kindness in Jesus Christ for us to come back to him. We'll talk a little more about that in a little bit. But this is the way God is toward us. We need his help. This is, this is a part of God's character. He is kind. And we need his help to be kind. And so if you find yourself in the danger zone, you're bitter, resentful, you're, you're angry, ask him to help you be kind. Make yourself, as you invest in other people around you, your heart tends to go that direction. The word compassion literally means bowels of, compa- bowels of uh, compassion. And, and what it means is, you know how sometimes you get in a relationship, you're around these people all the time and they, they may have a pattern of having certain things they're working through and troubles and different things. And you just sort of can close yourself off to them. And, and maybe because of what's going on in you, you just have this tendency, you're starting to close yourself off to the people around you. You don't want to hear it. You don't care. Don't, don't, don't tell me that again. You're just starting to shut down. Well, this word literally means that you let what people are going through get to your innards. You let what they're dealing with get to your insides. And you allow it to affect you on the inside so that you can actually begin to care. Compassion. If you let it get to your insides, what people are going through, then you'll begin to see the problem if there's a conflict or if you're having a struggle in the friendship or whatever. You'll begin to see it from their angle. So that's the idea here. Kindness and compassion help you connect to the people around you. And then forgiveness brings healing. Those, those three things are the, the keys to connecting and continuing in relationships. How, how many of you are perfect? Hey, no hands. I just thought of that. There was actually a time in my life in a group like this, I might have raised my hand. I'm confessing that. I wouldn't have went, you know, I'd have known I'm not perfect, but I didn't want anybody else to know that for sure. Well, forgiveness is obtained through confession, you find in Scripture. That's how you, you arrive at forgiveness. You have to admit that you're not perfect. 
And if you want to stay out of the danger zone in, in relationships, you have to learn to give forgiveness because you aren't perfect. God's forgiven you. You have to learn to give it and you have to learn to seek it over and over and over again because we end up in situations where we get frustrated and angry and we say things and do things that hurt people and others do the same. So we're told in this passage to forgive the way God has forgiven us. And I'd like to take a few minutes to look at how God's forgiven us. It's pretty amazing stuff. First of all, God releases us from the obligation of our wrong. Since God created us, he is worthy of honor. And when something is made, it's, it honors the maker when it does what it was made to do. Every one of us were made by God. That's what scripture says. And so when we don't do life his way, when we live life independent of him, it dishonors him. It, it dishonors our maker. And we're obligated. We're, we pile up debt to God through our sin. That's the picture you see in, in scripture. Our rebellion keeps piling up this mound of debt that we owe God. 1 John 1, nine says, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So we have this debt that's piled up before God. And it says here, if we confess our sins, which means we admit our wrong before him. God, I have been wrong. I have been living my life independent of you. I have been running away from you, trying to do life on my own without your help and not certainly trying to do it the way that makes, makes you please, that pleases you, that makes you happy. I've been on my own. God, I confess that to you. And I want to turn around and put my faith in you and ask for your help to change and to be different and to live life in a way that pleases you. When we confess our sin to God, he releases us from our debt that we owe him, and he no longer obligates us to pay for our sin. That is amazing. That's how God forgives those who turn around and come to him. He can do this because Jesus Christ paid our debt for us. He came, he stepped into this world, he lived a perfect life, and he died the death that we deserved so that we could be free from the obligation that we owe God because of our sin. That's how God forgives. He releases us. This word forgiveness in this passage literally means to send away. He releases it. He lets it go. That's how God forgives us. Second thing, he doesn't keep a record of our sin. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19, and all this is a gift from God who, who bought us back to himself, who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Now, what, what do you do in survival mode, you and I? 
we start, we count it. Ah, they're driving me crazy. What are they thinking? They keep doing this. And we start counting. And we keep a record in our minds. We, we tend to think in our relationship with God that he's keeping a record. And, and he, he does know our sin. And it does mount against us. But what we think is, we have this record of sin over here. Here's our debt right here to God. If I just do my best and do some good on this side of the balance sheet, and, and I make sure that I try to do enough so that it's more than the wrong I've done, then God's going to let me in. Heaven, I'm going to get into eternity because I've done more good than I've done wrong. That's not what the Scripture says. The Scripture says that sin, humanly speaking, has left an indelible stain on our souls. It cannot be erased by human effort. But only can it be erased by what Jesus Christ has done through his death on the cross. That's the forgiveness that God gives. This is how we're reconciled to God. And God doesn't keep a record of our sin. Once we turn and confess and repent and get into a relationship with him. Hebrews 10.17 says something else. It says, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. God makes a decision to forget. To, to, he refuses to remember our sins and lawless acts when we repent and believe in Christ. And then finally, he rescues us from the wrath that we deserve. 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10, they tell how you turn to God. He's, he's talking to this church who just recently had committed themselves to follow Christ. And there's a group of people who were working, you know, a church that was working toward doing what God wants them to do. And he's sort of recapping. Somebody told him how they turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Those who refuse to repent have God's wrath awaiting them. When we decide to follow Jesus Christ, he rescues us from that wrath. This is how God forgives. He doesn't pour out his wrath on us as we turn to him and seek his forgiveness. So what this means, we're told in Ephesians 4.32 to forgive the way God forgives. If we're going to do that, if we're going to forgive the way God forgives, it means that, first of all, we release others from having to pay for their wrong. When we forgive them, we don't make them pay. How do we make people pay? Bitter, cold shoulder, silent treatment, dirty looks. You know, some of us, we, we've got some really good looks. That, I mean, they just they will melt you right there. <laughs> we'll, we'll take you down with a look. Outbursts of anger. Tongue lashings, whatever it is, we have passive and aggressive ways of making people pay. If you forgive someone, you release them from that obligation. You release them from having to pay for their wrong. God also shows us that we need to refuse to rehearse the memories of what they did. When we get hurt, it's natural to replay the things that were said the things that were done over and over again, and we burn and we seethe 
as we play the recording over and over and over again in our mind. To forgive someone means that you refuse those memories. They, they keep wanting to crop up, but you refuse them. In other words, you hit the stop button and you change recordings. Philippians 4.8 says, don't, don't, you need to shift your mind and focus on the good stuff. And, and you have to intentionally do this. But you refuse to rehearse the memories. And sometimes that's very, very hard. A lot of us have been hurt deeply. And we need help getting past that hurt. We need help making it toward forgiveness. And so you, you may need to talk to someone about this. Get the help you need. Work it through. Think, you know, think through before God and ask him for his help. Ask someone else for help. But when you come to know Christ... You're connected to the resources of heaven itself, and you can find the power to forgive because it's available. Because God's forgiveness is is amazing. He is gracious. It also means that we let go of the feelings and the thoughts of resentment. Don't nurse these things and keep them alive. Sometimes these, these rehearsals, the thoughts and the feelings that come with our hurt in the past, it's so familiar that we can't imagine life without it. And we can't imagine getting past those things. And so we just sort of live with them and we nurse those things along. In contrast to that, the Bible says, crucify them. Galatians 5 says, crucify. That's, that's all a part of survival mode. It's all a part of relying on yourself because I'm going to remember this and I'm going to make them pay because I'm going to do it on my own and they, they're going to learn how to treat me. That's all a part of the old way. And the Bible says stick a knife in that way. Stick a knife in it. Crucify it. Kill it. Don't nurse it and keep it alive, but take it out. Don't make them face our wrath. That's another aspect of forgiveness. Don't blow up in their face. Calm down. Let God judge them. He's the judge. Let, let him handle it. He will. No longer count it against them. We burn the scorecard. You're used to keeping marks. Oh, that's one against them. They're going to have to earn their way back. Burn the scorecard. To get out of survival mode, we must be forgiving. Or we pay a price. The resentment and the bitterness sour our lives and make it very enjoyable. So we've got to give forgiveness. And we must also seek forgiveness. Now, I, I just want to say before I move on, forgiveness and trust are two different things. So maybe you've been hurt in the past. Forgiveness doesn't mean you just walk in and you trust them fully. And maybe they've hurt you in a way that, that you need some boundaries. There's some pr- protective boundaries that need to be there. That's, I'm not just saying be stupid. Forgive and be stupid. But you've got to deal with the bitterness in your heart or it will take you down. It will, it will ruin your friendships and family relationships. Okay, how to seek forgiveness when we messed up. Paul said in Acts 24, 16, So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward God and toward men. Having a clear conscience means that I have done what God requires to make things right with others. That's, that's a practical way to understand a clear conscience. 
doesn't mean we're perfect. We've all admitted we're not. It doesn't mean that, you know, we never mess up. We do. But having a clear conscience means I've done what God requires to make it right. And here are two things. These next two points, next two big points, are uh, what God requires. First of all, take full responsibility for your wrong before God and others. Luke 15, 21. This is a statement that the rebellious son said to the father in Jesus' story of the lost son. But we can learn from this how to take full responsibility of our wrong before God and others. Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. This shows us how to make it right. When we humans blow it, there's a defense mechanism in us that wants to do anything but take full responsibility for what we've done. And we can explain it away or we can downplay it. I, I myself, when, when I've sensed that power bog, you know, the grieve, I've grieved the Holy Spirit, I know it, oh, that, that was really, I shouldn't have said that, I shouldn't have done that. And then I start thinking, oh, I, I need to get this right with them. I shouldn't, I've got to go, I've got to first of all get it right with God, confess to him, then I need to go confess to them. When I get to that point where I need to do that, it's a, it's a wrestling match inside to get to the point where I'm willing to take full responsibility and not blame them. And I, I begin to think things like, well, you know, I, I'm really having a bad day. I was having such a bad day. Anybody can understand why I said that. Or, you know, I, I, did, I was just a little short with them. It's not that big a deal. You know, I downplay it. I know that landed wrong on you. I know that I know that did, but I really didn't mean it. It just kind of came out. The Bible says what comes out is from your heart. We don't get a mulligan with the things we say. We don't get a do-over. We said them. It's too late. That was our heart coming out. And so we tend to excuse ourselves and rationalize, but we need to rehearse the thing we're going to say over and over again, until I weed out the rationalizations and the blame and take full responsibility. That takes me a while, usually. I'm a stubborn human being. And I would imagine it's going to take you a while to get to the point where you come. And usually what I say is something like this. The Lord convicted me of how impatient and inconsiderate I was to you. Will you forgive me? And sometimes people are so uncomfortable. Oh, you know, it's no big deal. No, no, really, the Lord can be. I really was. And I need to ask you to forgive me for this. What that does is it shows the other person how serious you're taking the offense. And it, it, can, it can really go a long way to help repair the, the, this, the friendship or relationship. Will you forgive me? Asking those words, not just apologizing, but... I'm sorry I said that. Sorry. You know, if you're offended, you're a little person. No. Will you forgive me? This was really wrong. <laughs> this, what I did was really wrong. Will you forgive me? You're taking it serious. They know it and you know it because ugh, you'll battle to get to that point. It'll be a wrestling match. I remember one time I was driving somewhere with my son, Thad, and I don't know how. He was about 11 or 12, maybe 13, I don't know, somewhere in there. I don't know how, but we, we, I was talking about 
discipline, parents disciplining their kids. And every time I talked about that subject, I noticed over a period of several months, he would get a certain look on his face. And so we were talking about this on this occasion, and he kind of had this look on his face. I said, hey, Dad, what's, what's that look about on your face? Whenever I talk about parents disciplining their kid, he said, well, you know, Dad, I, uh, there was this time, and he, he named a time about four or five years, six years earlier, when I had been overly harsh with him. And immediately the Holy Spirit said, you know, Randy, he is exactly right. And actually, that time had come to my mind a, a, few, a few different instances. And I said, Thad, you're, you're exactly right. That was completely wrong. Will you forgive me? And about ten years later, I mentioned that to him. I said, remember that time? And he, he said, I don't remember it. And I thought, what would have happened if I wouldn't have admitted my wrong? Maybe he held on. He already he had held on for four, five, six years. Maybe he held on longer. We we need to be willing to humble ourselves before those around us to repair the friendships and family relationships that God has blessed us with. If we don't, life gets sour. It really doesn't taste good. And I've got some guidance on the, the, the listening guide there for how to decide who to confess to. The circle of confession. Confess to God if you have done no external wrong. In other words, sometimes it's just thoughts. Wrong thoughts or bad attitudes. And we haven't really said anything or done anything to hurt somebody else. Confess that to God. You don't have to confess that to anybody else. Confess to a person if you've done wrong to that person in words or actions. Be specific. Call it sin. Don't call it anything else. Confess to a group if you've done wrong to a group. That's no fun. I've had to do that before. And confess a bad example if you've done wrong in front of a group. We're all called to be examples of what it means to know God and give him a good reputation. And if you're following Christ and you've been a bad example, you need to confess that. The second thing that God requires us to do is to make restitution. This is how you gain a clear conscience. You, you get it right, you take full responsibility, and you make restitution. Numbers 5 says, Say to the Israelites, when a man or woman wrongs another in any way and so is unfaithful to the Lord, that person is guilty and must confess the sin he has committed. He must make full restitution for his wrong, add one-fifth to it, and give it, to all, give it all to the person he has wronged. So if you've damaged something, stolen something, cheated somebody out of something, you pay it back and add to it. You make restitution. You get it straightened out with them. At CIV, what we've been talking about in this message series, we've been looking at some core, core habits that we need to build into our friendships and family relationships out of Scripture. And if we do that, they provide the framework within which our relationships can, can survive and not only survive, get way beyond survival. They can be good. As we, as we continue to do these things. Today, we've looked at the backdrop ideas behind the heart attitude number four. 
We've been looking at four hard attitudes that we commit to at, at CIV out of seven. Four out of seven. These first four have to do with friendships and family relationships. This is what Jesus said about clearing up relationships. Hard, hard attitude four is clear up relationships. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you. Offering your gift was an act of worship. So if you're at worship, you remember somebody has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Clearing up relationships is a priority over worship. Sometimes we think, well, you know, I've messed up this week. I'm going to go to worship and make up for it. God says, leave worship and get it straightened out. Deal with it. Deal with what's going on. And then come back to worship. Worship doesn't cancel out the wrong. You need to go get it straightened out. Take initiative to get it cleared up. That's hard attitude number four. Here are some ways to apply what we've looked at this morning. We always try to have some steps we can take at the end because as you take these steps, as you, as you listen to the Bible and take steps to follow God in response to it, your understanding increases the more you follow. So here are some steps. First of all, memorize Ephesians 4.32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. That will help you remember to do that. And, uh, you know, you find yourself in a spot where you need to forgive. God, help me be kind, help me be compassionate and forgiving here. Would you give me the power I need? Second step could be to really forgive someone who has hurt you. This may take time. It's a deep hurt. You may need to talk through this with someone. But ask God to help you really forgive. And then another step would be to seek forgiveness from someone I've offended. Maybe someone's come to mind and you need to get something straightened out with him. And then finally, for the first time, I will repent by admitting my sin to God, seeking his forgiveness, and committing my life to live for Christ. Those are some steps you could take in response to the message this morning. We're going to be receiving our offering in a few moments. I'd like to thank you for your generous giving. That's how we do what we do here. And I'd also like to just say thanks to those who served in the mission projects yesterday. We had, I think, around 50 people at Pacific Lifeline, which is a transitional home for women uh, coming out of tough situations, gives them a place to, the the women and their children, a place for them to sort of get set to live life on their own when they're coming out of a, a bad home. And so we went and scrubbed floors and did inventory and landscaped and did a lot of work around there. It was, it was, it was, I'm sure it really blessed the folks there. I was at another project. We, we also uh, helped the city of Ontario uh, to do some work on a, a historic baseball field that they, they really value. So we went out. That's kind of like getting dominion. You know, the Bible says to get dominion. Be fruitful and multiply. Get dominion. You know, you take, you take the wilderness of the world and you turn it into a park. That's the picture of getting dominion. You make it, you know, good. And so we were doing that. But the real reason we do this is because as you come to Christ and you set your heart to follow him, he wants you to team up with a group of people and serve in the world to meet needs and to bless people that way. And as you do that, you connect with the people you're serving with, he, he helps you grow, but you also begin to give, you, you raise God's reputation 
We serve the city of Ontario because we want to be good citizens, and we want God to have a good reputation. And if he has a good reputation, then people are more, more likely to seek him out and try to figure out what he's all about. And we, we also serve to give CIV a reputation because that helps us advance the cause. So I really would like to thank you for your service, those who served. And we've got a few more projects coming up, and thank you ahead of time for serving there. Would you pray with me? Father, we, we come to you, and we're amazed at the level of forgiveness that you offer. You, you do not rehearse the memories of what we've done as we confess to you. You, you refuse to make us pay the obligation that's due. You, you, you let it go. And God, in Jesus Christ, we, we can experience complete forgiveness, and I am thankful for what you've done. Lord, would you give us the power to take the steps that you've laid on our hearts to take this morning? Give us the strength to be... Uh, to really reflect and honor you in the way we live our lives. We ask for this in the name of Jesus Christ again. Amen.